Welcome to the I Belong Here podcast. Please join us on this journey as we will navigate the world meeting fantastic women who are real scientific role models. Together, we wish to inspire the next generation of girls who dream about being scientists. Look out for our male ambassadors too, as they do believe in the representation women deserve and earn in science. Stay tuned for amazing guests, check out the podcast description for credits and acknowledgements, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with our latest episodes. And she said, don't you change, but I can't help these thoughts up in my brain. So hey guys, welcome to this new episode of the I Belong Here podcast. Today we have our next male ambassador for the month of April and I'm so excited and I'm going to pretend that this is a normal conversation because today I have Ben Garrett with me. Hey Ben. Hey, thanks for having me on. <laughs> Yay. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, so you guys probably know about Ben a lot. Uh, you know, he's a media guy. He does a lot of things. He does really cool things. Uh, but just to let you guys know a bit more about him, uh, Ben is a professor of evolutionary biology and science engagement at the UEA in Norwich. He's also an author specializing in scientific nonfiction books for young readers and is an award-winning BBC science presenter and has worked with Sir David Attenborough in Attenborough at the Giant Dinosaur as well as many of his own series. He has worked around the world protecting chimpanzees, orangutans, and other primates, and helps promote numerous conservation and STEM education charities. So I, am, I have so many questions <laughs> that I could be here all night, <laughs> you know, asking, asking about this amazing journey, uh, but uh, let's just start bit by bit. <laughs> okay. Um, so, would you like to to tell us a bit more, like, where is this um, interest, you know, in evol evolutionary biology, in conservation, preservation of animals? Where is this interest coming from? Because obviously, your career seems to be quite, you know, highlighted by this. So, is this coming from childhood, or is something that happened in the like mid of your career? No, this is a this is just a childhood dream, really. Uh, it's um, very But it's, um, I think in, I'd like, well, I'd like to think most of us scientists, not everybody, but most of us are just very much grown up children who were so geeky <laughs> and nerdy that we've never lost that, 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 that uh, desire to ask questions about us around the world. And for me, I grew up in, in Norfolk, right by the sea. And I spent a lot of time with my grandparents when I was very small, mm -hmm. my mum and dad. Lot. And I spent a lot of time with my grandfather, especially, and we'd walk along the beach and he, he wasn't an academic. And I used to ask, what's this? And he would make up a story about a bone or what's this? And he'd make up a story about a plant or a shell. And it was this, it was this wonderful opportunity to never have anyone say, I don't know, or just tell me to shut up as a kid. It was, <laughs> he would either answer or he would make these fantastic stories. And I, I think it just promoted this, this sense of asking questions about the world around me. Um, and in terms of why I've worked so much in conservation, I guess, I, I guess that, again, we've always had animals growing up as pets, but also it was just, I think it was just 
partly the some of the the heroes that the science heroes that I looked up to were people like Diane Fossey, Jane Goodall, who worked in in conservation at a time when conservation wasn't a big thing. And this idea of working in Africa or Asia and being next to animals and being very close in a way that you can protect them as well, I think channeled yes. my sort of my childhood dream to be in the mm. wild. And yeah, I mean, I've, I'm I've grown up, but I'm I'm still that. <laughs> Who, who likes animals, I think. That's it, really. <laughs> Honestly, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, we, at least I see science like that as well. You know, I was always the one in the lab waiting for the samples and then asking the questions like, okay, why this is, I don't know, blue? Why this is giving me this number? Why this is giving me this answer? You know, so it's like, I actually love it. Like what you said, because I totally agree with that. Um, also, it's amazing that you actually uh, reference Jane Goodall as well. Uh, she's one of my uh, scientific role models, uh, like massive role models. She's amazing. And I had, uh, I actually saw you with her, you know, in Norwich when you gave this event. I think it was a couple of years ago, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is now. Yeah, it was, it was November 2019, I think. She opened or helped open the new science building at UEA, didn't she? Exactly. So I went uh, to the cathedral when you have this uh, evening event. Uh, I love the evening. It was one of the most amazing evenings I've ever had. I was a bit far from both of you. So I was a bit, you know, like, oh, I want to be closer. <laughs> and again, I mean, Jane, I mean, for those who don't know, Jane's, Jane's this wonderful, this wonderful person who, right from a very early age as well, loved animals and wanted to work with them. But as a, as a woman in science, especially in the, the 60s, it was very hard for her to get into science. And she wanted to work in Africa with, with wild chimpanzees. And it was difficult. She had to take her mum. Otherwise, the government wouldn't allow a young woman on her own. And mm -hmm. then it was difficult get her, her PhD at Cambridge and then she got in trouble for naming the chimpanzees rather than using numbers and she was blamed because she's mm. a woman inverted commas and she was of course she was too emotional and she was and all the all the incredible discoveries she made in terms of the behavior and culture in chimpanzees were almost almost ridiculed in some ways because she was too emotional because she was seeing things as a woman that people wouldn't see but it was that very stuff that inspired me as a kid and, and people like you and and, and thousands well, hundreds of thousands of people still around the world now um she's changed the way we look at biology so yes to, to work and be to be able to to know jane as well as i do has been has been a lovely and for me as well I and mean, i've known jane oh nearly 20 years but still wow. that opportunity talk to her that evening in the cathedral as part of Norwich Science Festival was was amazing it was intimate it was beautiful and yet there was about four or five hundred of you in the audience and and it still felt very personal yeah it was lovely exactly I think that's that's the word that I was looking for it's intimate it was uh so nice you know it's just when she was speaking it was like I don't know what word to use everything was so quiet was so peaceful she's amazing it was the first time I've seen her in, you know, in like a live event. And like you said, she was so, she had it so hard on, on her career, you know, to do these kind of things. Um, so it's just, you know, goals, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, she, I mean, she's a role model. I, I don't like this division of role models just for women or role models just for men or for boys or for girls, whatever. She's, she's a role model to all of us, not just in science, but the, as you say, the way she communicates, you can be in a massive cathedral and, and obviously you were there, but she spoke 
so quietly. She exactly. didn't loud, and she didn't need to be over the top. And she she's an inspiration as, as as a scientist to us as scientists, whether you're a man, woman, boy, or girl, but also just as a person as well. She's so enriching to, to watch, to be around, to, to, to listen. And I think a lot of us scientists can be like that. And I think a lot of people don't see us as <laughs> real people. They kind of see us as <laughs> like these inanimate nerds that sit in a corner and do the, we're, we're just pretty much these, these things that you <laughs> but but we're real people. And I think, yeah, I mean, hearing Jane and seeing Jane and, and being at one of those events really makes you realize that <laughs> that scientists are people and, and, and it's yeah it's lovely yes it's it's amazing and she i think she was saying something you know she was speaking about her um you know her travel uh and then you know identifying the chimpanzees and everything and i think she said something like one of them was crying or something or or she was crying and, and then she went really close and then at that point i think all of us stopped breathing in the audience because it was like a massive moment i was like oh my god i think i'm gonna cry right now as well <laughs> and that's you're right and what jane does really well it's not intentional but she's really good at giving science a narrative and we exactly. all know we, we're in the middle of a pandemic still right now and we're talking about vaccines and we're talking about waves and people are becoming used to science becoming mainstream but until last year most people didn't know a scientist most people couldn't identify what a scientist did otherwise other it might have been something really generic but i think what jane does and others like her is give science that story and mm. i kids especially that if you're a scientist you're the world's greatest storyteller because you're telling the story of the universe it might be looking at genetics of a particular organism or it might be the evolution of a whole of a whole of, of humans, for example, or it might be developing a vaccine, or but each of those has a story the why, the where, the how, the beginning, the middle, and end. There are characters, and I think by giving that storytelling ability or that, that narrative to science really brings it alive for not just the audience, and by the audience, I mean the public very often, but also what better way to get little boys and girls into science than bringing that storytelling to life with the most great, we talk about dragons and we talk about wizards and all these stories. We're talking about the big bang billions of years ago where it made the universe. And then we talk about the evolution of dinosaurs and we're talking about things so microscopic you can't, that's like a fantasy novel. I mean, exactly. that's like... <laughs> <laughs> To be honest, when I speak about my work with my friends, they think I, I am, you know, why not, you know, such like, Jurassic Park movie, you know, that I am in my lab, you know, cloning things, which I don't know at all. <laughs> so it's, honestly, I know what you mean. Um, but yeah, I think that's one of uh, another of the million reasons why I wanted you in the podcast as well, because I think science communication is so important. And, and I think this is something that you do very, very well. Uh, obviously, you have vast experience on it, but I think you also know how to communicate it how to transmit the message and i think this is something that me as a you know like practical scientist that I, I i live my life in the lab basically i try to do as well when i do events or when i do oral communications in the university or even with the podcast as well this is something that we need to practice as scientists as well because we can give this knowledge and these experiences you know to a non-scientific audience and we can transmit that um which it matches as well with, you know, what your grandparents were uh, doing with you, you know, like trying to give you this sense of curiosity and, and exploration as well. And, you know, we are all scientists now. So it's, uh, 
you know, it's the power of, of communication as well. Um, and that's uh, one reason why I will actually pay for being in one of your lectures because they must be amazing. <laughs> no, when, whenever you want, you can come to any of my lectures, I promise. Oh my God, please tell, please don't, don't tell me this. I want to go to one of your lectures. <laughs> We have, we have lots of fun in my lectures and it should be, science should be fun. Yes, science is really tough and it's really difficult and you make really impossible decisions sometimes. And it is, you know, it's so much work, but it doesn't mean it can't be fun. It can't be engaging. And this idea, I think a lot, historically especially, but even now, still a lot of people think that if science is accessible or science is, is understandable for a general audience, with my inverted commas there, mm -hmm. then it's being made dumbed down or it's simple or it's 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 people don't deserve to understand because you've done your degree and your master's and your phd you deserve to understand mm. but they i think if we have that mentality then i think it's really selfish um yeah and it partly reflects on the confidence of those people not willing to share it as well so i always think it's like having this amazing piece of artwork and you can either like a, i don't know a new picasso that's never been discovered and you find <laughs> it or your living room behind the couch and you think, right, I can either keep it just for me and only I will ever see this, or I can share it with the world. And that's what science is like. Yes, exactly. you can have that, that masterpiece and you can just look at it every day, but only you are benefiting from that. Or you can share it with everybody else. And that's what science is. If you don't share science, you're kind of, for some reason, saying that other people don't deserve to understand it. And I think that's wrong at best. I think it's really crappy at worst. So. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, no, we do, we, need, we do need to share, you know, and to just share our experiences. Also to demystify scientific careers, because like I said, my friends, they, they know me since, since we were 16, 17. They have followed, you know, my undergrad, my master's, and now my PhD. They still look at me with his eyes open, like, do you really do this? And I'm like, look, it sounds more fancy than it really is, you know? <laughs> Hey, you do fancy work. I know what work you do. But the nice thing from that is I still think about that with other scientists. When I hear you and your colleagues talk and I hear my other friends and, and other sort of scientific colleagues, I still get fascinated. And I still think, oh, my God, I should work in that field. I should do this. <laughs> and I think that's really nice as well, that we can still become really excited by other areas of science. It's not we don't communicate just for the, the, the public. It's, it's, it's for all of us. I mean, I still get just as excited about your field and, and physicists and mathematicians and, and other areas of biology even uh, closer to me. But uh, I, yeah, I think it's, if you lose that spark or that interest or that wow, or that mysticism, as you say, that I think, well, yeah, again, it's, it's, you never want to lose that gift. I think that's really important. Exactly. So May I ask you, is this a spark coming across in your lectures? Tell us what you teach exactly. What is your, you know, your lecture career? Tell us a bit more about that. Because I'm really uh, curious. Uh, so <laughs> I've taught at several universities already. And mm. at the, um, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm at UEA and I love being at UEA. It's, it's, it's great fun. Um, mm. Just finished teaching a, a bunch of first years, um, my, uh, my first year cohort. Uh, and it's all evolutionary biology. So we start from the very, very basics. I love the first years because it's <laughs> such an opportunity to get at that, that ground level where they've been fed information for years. Uh, and it's not, <laughs> it's not all correct either a lot of the times. And they're still, 
really eager and they're still really keen. Um, and we can have a lot of fun. Again, like I said, I think lectures should be fun. So we've just been looking at evolutionary processes for what what causes sort of the diversity we see. How do you suddenly get different groups coming up with the same um, adaptation? So wings. Wings are really, really complex. And yet we see wings in bats, in birds, in flying reptiles in the, in the fossil record like pterosaurs. And what are those pressures what do you have to do to avoid to to go down that path or or whales whales mm. evolved about 50 million years ago from these walking things that looked a little bit like a, a fox crossed with a hyena um, <laughs> and they said whales had legs and they walked into water and suddenly they're these big 50 60 70 ton animals that eat tiny krill that didn't happen that's crazy over yeah, but then again, what are those processes that takes this four-legged small animal to something that can be, well, a 190-ton blue whale? Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we have lots of fun exploring that. And I like the idea, with the first years especially, I think you can really play with, well, what do you think? And what are your preconceptions? And it's yes. an opportunity to challenge these ideas and challenge these preconceptions. It's, it's good fun. We we have a laugh. We do some, do some serious exploration of the... Uh, of the scientific worlds, but um, we enjoy it. I mean, I enjoy it, and I, I, I look forward to my lectures each week now. <laughs> I, I think if, if you let me, I'm going to go to the next one because this sounds like an amazing time of the day. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so we know more or less now, right now, you know, what you teach, what you do at UEA as a lecturer, as a professor. Um, so before that uh i want to i'm really curious about you know your work with uh with animals and what you were mentioning about jane um because this is um you know this could be seen you know as field work uh, i am a lab-based uh person i always work in the lab i do practical science i don't go out <laughs> i'm always staying in the lab um so i'm really curious about this work that you did uh could you tell us a bit more about this because it sounds amazing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, this sounds much luckier than it was, but uh, I, during my, <laughs> um, I worked, I was at Kate, well, I was in uh, Anglia Ruskin in Cambridge. So there were mm -hmm. two universities, the famous one and then another one. So I <laughs> went to one of those and I worked in the famous uh, university as a, as a silver service waiter. So I was Ooh. serving, Students and I would uh, I would uh, learn how to pour wines and ports and all the food. No way. <laughs> oh yeah! Uh, and in my third year, I very luckily was working in one of the big colleges one evening, and there was a big posh dinner on. And I asked my boss who who was there, and she said, "Oh, it's it's some monkey lady." <laughs> oh my, my god! And because we weren't meant to really talk to people, we couldn't ever have a conversation. It wasn't allowed. We were just meant yeah. to be. So I didn't want to sound too excited. It's like, oh, um, um, what, 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 monkey lady? So, oh, I don't know. Like, was it um somebody called Jane? Yeah, I think it's Jane. It's like, oh, okay. Oh okay. my god. So I said, can I can I work on the top table? And she said, yeah, it's fine. So I did the top table, the most important table, and I served Jane uh soup and i served her a lunch a dinner and i served her drinks and everything oh my um, god and i was was in the third year un, uh, undergraduate doing animal behavior and i wanted to work in africa i'd been to africa a few times on my own i'd already done a conservation project in madagascar i wanted to work with gorillas or chimpanzees and, and, mm. and obviously and then throughout the dinner as i was serving her she 
she introduced herself and she said, hi, what's your name? And I was serving soup and I remember being oh really... Oh my God! <laughs> oh, don't smell soup on your hero! Uh, <laughs> name? No, my, my, my name is Ben. She went, hello Ben, my name's Jane. And all I could say was, I know! Like, a, like an absolute idiot. Um, but luckily oh. over the course Neil, I we chatted and she asked me what I was doing and if I was doing any any uh, educational work. And I said yes, I'm finishing my degree. I want to work in Africa. Um, and at the end of the meal, she just pulled a chair across the raised platform in this really posh college, and all the students were looking at me to see why she was helping the waiter sit down <laughs> next to me. And, <laughs> and we started chatting. And, and a long story short, um, she took my email address and we started emailing and chatting. Um, I did my exams about, I don't know, two or three months later, mm. and I think about a week after my last exam, I was in Africa working in Uganda um, in one of her largest projects, wow. um, running. <laughs> I was running all the habituation of wild chimpanzees, coordinating all the research, doing the law enforcement, staff training, uh, community engagement and education. Um, it was, I was such an idiot because she said, look, can you do and, yeah no problem it'll be yeah. fine <laughs> and then i'm living suddenly for several years in the middle of what, northwest uganda in a jungle with no electricity no fresh water wow it, and i loved it It was amazing but it was it was remote it was dangerous it was beautiful it was just the most incredible opportunity wow. um and because i never thought it was just normal to me it's like yeah i i, I can do this no problem because my mum and dad always taught me that you can do these things. There are no hurdles if you if you find a way around them. If you have the right uh, the the right um, mindset, then it counts for so much. So I I was scared. I, I mean, my very first evening when my boss had left me, she was there for a day. She trained me up. She trained me up for a day, and then left me with my my African sort of colleagues, my field staff, who didn't want me there, and and we didn't get off to the best start. I oh. cried. Oh I no. Cried. <laughs> I had I had a mud hut in the middle of a jungle with no communication for the outside world, and I went to bed because I just realised there was a cobra that lived in a hole about oh, two meters from my door. And I just thought, I don't want to be in Africa. Oh my god! <laughs> I loved it. It was amazing. So very quickly, I'm me and the staff became best mates. I mean, they they like they are family to me now. My 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 team that I used to work with, but it was the most amazing opportunity. And we had about two hundred wild chimpanzees that we were trying to protect and the forest and all the other species out there mm. so it's a big approach and you have to bring some tourism or ecotourism in you have to do research you have to do all these different things and coordinate this and yeah anyway, it was, it was a, a, the most amazing learning experience but also to be able to work out there with jane or for jane and in an opportunity like that very few people have ever been able to do that and exactly I'm hugely privileged. I'm so privileged to be able to do that. But it was, I never thought growing up as a kid in, in rural coastal Norfolk, that I would be in, in Uganda or my hero, Dr. Jane Goodall one day. And it was, yeah, it was beautiful. <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing. No, and it came from soup. <laughs> it came from soup. So that's it. So that's, we kind of, and I always tell my students this, that you never know when an opportunity is going to come up because. No, no, no. I was a good student but I wasn't the best student in the world but I was I was able to talk I was able to engage I was able to find these opportunities and, and take take advantage of them um, and I think that's really important we don't teach students how to take advantage of a situation um, in a nice way I mean I'm not taking advantage of people but these opportunities you could be 
20, 30, 40 years and that might never happen. Or you can just be there once and, and it happens that very first time. It's, it's seeing those opportunities is something we need to teach students as well, I think is really important. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you know, people like you, we were saying earlier as well, that they have this spark and this interest to inspire people. I think this is something really important to inspire to students. Uh, when we have undergrads in the lab, we usually have like four or five per year. I always try to inspire them as well to take the opportunities as they wish, you know, and uh, to, to feel and to do whatever they makes them feel good and, and they feel that they will love what they do and they can also inspire other people. And I think it's important as well because sometimes when they look at us, you know, they all they have this massive experience in whatever field. That's not really the point of the question. And they see you like, oh, I can never go there or I can never have an opportunity like this. And, and you know, uh, you were a, wait a waiter. <laughs> yeah. who, who will have thought that Jane was going to be in that dinner and you were going to go to Uganda? <laughs> and, and the weird thing was, well, just about three years ago now, she got a, an honorary degree. She's got lots of, she's got her real PhD and she's got lots of honorary degrees now as yeah. well. And then, but she got an honorary PhD from Cambridge and uh, another one and um i was at her ceremony and went along some where we say i'm i've known jane for a long time now and she still introduces me as her favorite waiter oh um, my god so cute <laughs> she will never say this is professor ben or dr ben no, no, no. this is ben he's my favorite waiter and it's it's a really good way of staying humble when jane goodall introduces you as exactly. a waiter oh, still. <laughs> oh my god that's amazing um Wow, well, this is fascinating, you know, I mean, to be honest, I don't know if I would be able to to do what you did, you know, I, you know, I've moved country, uh, I've done different things, I've been through different challenges, but I don't know if I would be able to, you know, to go there and like you said, like, it was dangerous, it was remote, it's not only traveling to do field work elsewhere, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, there's no communication, um, there's no fresh water, so, um, I wanted to ask you which kind of challenges you encounter. I mean, you probably already said all of them because obviously that the communication and the absence of fresh water is already a challenge like none of us have in a day to day. And that's actually a really privilege. And I think sometimes we also don't think about these things. So I'll say as well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that trip for you must be as well like becoming aware of what we have you know day to day that sometimes we we don't use properly and i think jane is also a, quite a good advocate for you know climate change and resources and the impact that humans unfortunately do wrong on earth um so yeah would you like to tell us a bit more uh, about this because I, i'm pretty sure that trip was not free of challenges <laughs> i mean it really wasn't and and you're right it, it, it's it's not that what happened to me makes me special, but it's what happened to me made me realize what life is like to so many people. Exactly. And I joined my, 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 my amazing field team, who I, I still like say. <laughs> they are, they're family, they're completely family. But they went through this all the time. And I talk about parasite. There are flies that lay their eggs on, on wet clothes. And I've had flies hatching out of my chest. Oh my um, God. <laughs> but all of my staff thought it was hilarious because I had my first first external parasite when I was in my 20s they're like that happens when we're children I was like oh okay that's awful and then yeah I mean I had bad I had a bad stomach for about six months and the and my oh, African wow. 
yeah, that's that's what happens. And it's it's not that that's special because I've done that. It's that's what life is like for so many people. And there's a phrase I hate it when in the West we say, "Oh, I'm starving." It's like you're not starving. You're no. really not. And I can't say I've ever been, but I've been in an area where there was drought and my team and I didn't have enough food for a long time. And we weren't starving, but I, I can remember going to bed really hungry day after day after oh day. Oh my after, God. Because there just wasn't enough food in the region. We had money, but we just didn't have food. So it's even that level of understanding what the, the world is like for people out there. Exactly. And where even, uh, even to the point where it was so wet and so warm and so, uh, uh, so tropical that every tiny cut or injury could go septic you could get sepsis you could get blood poisoning it could something oh so God. if you cut yourself in norwich or i cut myself here in bristol i just put a bandage on or a plaster and some tcp and it's gone yeah. Whereas I, I cut myself outside doing my, my my chicken project i've got some chickens but looking after my chickens <laughs> life, if i'd done that in africa i would have been really concerned because that could have caused blood poisoning that could have so oh, again it's wow. little things so that's the little stuff we had <laughs> we had amazing problems out there we had, we had a lion that came into my into, my, into our forest and uh was a real problem it was a man-eating and it was a man-eating lion not a person eating it ate, it ate a local guy from a local village wow really yeah we had a bunch of outlaws who hid in our forest who would oh my God. come with their come with their guns and uh demand cups of tea which was, was hilarious oh but still God. With an AK-47, all they want was a cup of tea. Like, yeah, fine, fine. Jeez. Well, yeah, we, we, had, we had some amazing, amazing, amazing <laughs> issues. A volunteer, well, volunteers accidentally burnt half of my camp down one evening. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> it was, yeah, all these, I, I broke my back. And it was, I, mean, I broke my back out there in, in, a, in a car accident. Um, oh, a wow. friend, of, friend of mine was killed, unfortunately, by... by really? By, by gunfire yeah in, in, in my national park um oh, wow. and it's easy to say this now in quite a calm way but all these things happened and none of those things are unique to me all those things happen to people all the time around the world and i think that's what's really important um for many of us that you can experience these things and not go and then this happened and then this happened it's just like these, these things happen so many people and I'm still luckier because I had the money to treat myself every time I injured myself I had the the background to and the training I needed to survive all these things and I'm still here um but I think it's really important as well to say yes I've had this very very wonderful and amazing field career and you haven't and I think we have this idea that to be a scientist you've got to do one or the other or you've got to almost fit a certain pattern and mm -hmm. um, People think that what you do is more of a being more of a you've got a, you're in a laboratory you wear a lab coat um, <laughs> that's a real scientist. I know people, you know, to be a real scientist you've got to go into the field and do ten years and nearly die every day. And you know, that's, <laughs> there's no real scientist, and I love the idea that you can talk to a hundred different scientists, and there'll be a hundred different career paths, a hundred different types of work, a hundred different. Uh, sets of experiences and outlooks. And I think that's really important as well. There isn't a scientist pattern that, that fits everybody. Like if you, I guess, if, uh, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. If you're a pilot, okay. <laughs> is it? if you're a pilot, you fly something, you know what it is. You know what a pilot does. <laughs> it might be a helicopter, it might be a plane, but it's one of the two. Really. Yeah. And I know lots of different, I know some pilots, and I know there are lots of differences, so I'm, I'm being... <laughs> but if you're a scientist, I think if anyone goes, well, if I hear the word scientist, I already know what they do. It's completely wrong because I love this idea, especially with kids. You go, right, what do scientists do? 
they work in a lab? Yep. Do they work with dinosaurs? Uh, yep. Do they work mm. with pansies? Yep. Do they work with sharks? Yep. They work with DNA? Yep. They work with space? Yep. It can, you can be there for days and ask them all these questions and scientists do all those things. So this idea of a scientist template is something that I love to challenge with kids, especially because <laughs> it's so fun seeing their eyes go, you can do this. You can do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And that's, that's for me fun. <laughs> I love that too as well. Uh, when we were participating a couple of years ago in the Nordic Science Festival, I love kids. I love being around them. I love playing with them. I am. I, I turn one of them. You know, it's like you want you want me to play with hours with a square. Yes, let me just play three hours with you with a square. I don't care. I just want to be around you. Um, and one of my favorite parts of the Nordic Science Festival was when kids were coming along to ask you what you do because you need to say your work to like with words that they will understand and it's like you said they look at you like oh, really do you study that do you do that how do you do that and it's like so exciting i love that as well you know um so again bringing back the science communication is so important you know uh, to kids as well um and that's one of the uh, reasons why i wanted to do this podcast as well because i've been doing uh i think six or seven interviews so far and each interview is going in a completely different way because that person is different they do different science they live in different parts of parts of the world and it's so enriching you know to 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 see how this person looks like and that's not even the they, what matters you know is what they do and how they showcase it and that's why i wanted to give all these examples you know about real scientists that they do whatever they do and they are just an example of, of what you can do with your career as a scientist um, and your journey as well is, is incredibly inspirational. Um, it's honestly, it's, it's so amazing. Like I'm learning, <laughs> you know, so much in that trip. Obviously it was full of challenges that, uh, for example, I will not encounter in the lab, you know, or in a practical field, but I'm pretty sure that trip also shaped you. And the way you, you talk about it now, call, obviously when, when time, you know, passes by, then you can talk about the things a bit more relaxed, if that makes sense. But I'm pretty sure it shaped you as well, the way you are and the way you inspire students as well, because you've been there, you know, like to the bottom. And then you could, then you can transmit this message to your students or to the people who are listening to us right now. Um, so I'm amazed, honestly. <laughs> And it's a really good time, actually, because I, I, I gave another lecture this week in a different module, the skills module, and we were talking about fieldwork and uh, an amazing colleague, Kelly Edmonds uh, from Bio at UE, uh, UEA as mm. well, was joining me. And we both compared and contrasted and had got a little bit competitive. About <laughs> we talk about different areas of, of the skill development, but we don't do much in terms of the fieldwork. So we, we gave an opportunity to really explore what fieldwork is. And it was so lovely to speak with the students and, and let them ask all these questions of what fieldwork is like and what can you do and what should you do and what shouldn't you do. And, and again, it's just, a, it's just a way of showing the opportunities. I think that's what's so important that anyone wanting to go into science or even young children thinking, could I do science? Uh, <laughs> that's the cat there. <laughs> I'll start again. Um, we've all been through experiences, whether it's you in a lab and the work you do, or me in the field and working with the animals that I work with, but the opportunity to talk with people who are either just at the early stage of the, the early stages of that career, or even much younger who are thinking about going into science or even questioning whether they can or can't. 
it helps them so much to talk with scientists and hear from scientists to understand what you can do. Somebody mentioned earlier is, is doing different things. I always think it's like a buffet. If you walk into one of these <laughs> restaurants where they've got these big buffet tables, yeah. you can, but if you go in and you, you, I mean, I don't like those restaurants usually, but um, I, I always come out about 10 kilos too heavy. But um, <laughs> if you go in there and you only eat food from the very first table, then why have you gone into that restaurant? I think science is a bit like that, or being, going to academia or, or education is like that. If you try different things, you shouldn't be scared of trying this and trying this and, and seeing what you like. But if you exactly. only do that thing, you're only going to do that first thing and you'll never know all these amazing opportunities and all these amazing career chances and, and, and paths out there. Exactly. This is something that I also tell to the students uh, when we have a student from pharmacy. Um, you know, they, they ask me what to do. Uh, should I stay being a pharmacist? Should I do this? Should I do that? And I'm like, explore. You need to know what you like. Uh, I work in industry before my PhD. I was a technician before my PhD. And that helped me to realize how much I want to be a lecturer and a group leader, you know, because I know that that's what I love. That's what I want to do. And that's what I'm heading now with my career, you know, but because I took some time, even years, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think also another misconception that it is outside uh, for science, and I will say especially for women, is that science has an age. You can, you need to do a PhD at certain age because, for example, as women, you need to have kids, you need to get married, blah, blah, blah. So this is something that I also try to challenge in, in my students, you know, like, I started my PhD when I was 28 and I have no kids yet. <laughs> Let's see if I am in the future because I want to be a mom, but not yet, you know, because I'm doing these things in my career and that's where I'm following now. Um, so I think it's really important as well to showcase all these type of type uh, quoting uh, of scientists, you know, that there is out there. So they get inspired and they get that, you know, that eager to go outside and, and try and explore. I've, I completely agree. I couldn't agree more. I've got a, a student at the moment who I'm, I'm working closely with to try and get on a postgraduate degree and ultimately PhD. And I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying, but she's an amazing student and she's, <laughs> she's, but she's got two young kids and she's a single parent. And I think she's brilliant. Oh, wow. and amazing. She's been amazing. Well, she is an amazing mum and amazing person and an amazing student. And there's no reason you can't, I mean, that's not going to be easy. She knows that, but it's, mm. It's, it's really inspiring to me to see people from all different backgrounds, different walks of life and different, different experiences making that commitment. One of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorites ever, I do have favorite students. I'm going to have to, <laughs> not going to name them, but I do have favorite students. Okay, uh, let, tell us. <laughs> one of them was a 74-year-old lady who... Oh my God! It was amazing. She, well, she's amazing. She was part of the Windrush generation. She'd come over from the Caribbean. She'd worked her whole working and, and adult working life within the NHS as a nurse, um, had kids, had grandkids. And she turned up when I taught in Bristol and turned up in one of my, my modules. Um, and it became very apparent. I mean, I, I, I just, but I thought she was, a, I thought she was a teaching assistant or something. And she <laughs> sat at the say anything. And I thought, well, she's not with a student. And we started talking and she said, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a little bit older than most people. It's like, oh, how old are you? And I think, one or 72 at the time um and she taught me so much and it was uh, lovely yeah. to see. but when she finished i said well, what are we going to do next and she said oh i'm going to do my master's next of course I said, oh, well, of course <laughs> and uh, i said why what, why why are you doing it 
And she said, I've always wanted to do this. I always want, so I used to teach um, uh, anthropology. She said, I always want to learn more about me as a, as a person, as a species, as a community. And this is perfect for that. And no one's dependent on me. I've got the money. I've got the opportunity. It's not too late. I said, no, of course it's not too late. But it's, it's exactly. amazing students from 17, 18, right up to their 70s coming into, into university level academia. And it's everyone comes with a different set of qualifications, different experiences, different abilities, different problems, different yeah. uh, skills. And it's, 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 the beauty is seeing that everyone has a place. And yes, it's going to be much harder for some than it is others. But she always said, I don't go out drinking. I don't have relationship <laughs> problems. But I've got none of the problems they all have. And you just go, <laughs> oh, do you see that? That's, that's amazing that you see exactly. all that. It was really good, actually. She taught me a lot. <laughs> Well, that's that's honestly really inspirational, you know, and again, I think I'm going to repeat myself, but, you know, science also has no age, you know, and mm -hmm. it, the important thing is to do the things when they are the right time for you to do them. And as long as you love it, I think then you have the key, you know, to success uh, and to be happy and to success in the way that you want to succeed. Uh, so I think this is really important. Um, and that also brings me to my to my next point, uh, because, you know, this. Uh, this podcast is, you know, for showcasing uh, women scientific role models. I want to showcase um, how how much uh, women rock in, in in what they do, uh, despite of how they look, uh, where are they coming from, despite of their position. Whereas if it's academia industry, I, that's not really the point. Um, and I also want to inspire uh, the next generation, you know, of girls that uh, or young women that they might be listening to us and they feel themselves reflected or identify in one of the women that I interview. So for me, this is really important. But um, that's why I also wanted to bring male ambassadors like you, because I think we need the support from our male colleagues. It's not only important to think about, yeah, I support women in science, but I think it's really key that you guys help as well to understand us and to, and to move forward, you know, because we need to stay together to change this kind of bias and misconceptions that there are around um, women working in science, which they make me so upset because you see it, uh, like from time to time you see a paper or you see a comment or you see the headlines of something that is like, oh, all right, there we go again. Like International Women's Day was last week uh, and then something happened again in the same week that it was like, where, where are we moving, you know? so. I wanted to chat with you a bit more about this because I know that you advocate for that and I am so happy when I see you, you know, doing these things online because it's, I think it's really brave and I think, you know, respect, uh, I respect you so much for doing that because you try to understand. Um, so uh, I wanted to chat with you a bit more about this and see what you think about the whole woman in STEM uh, concept. Oh, uh, <laughs> Emotionally, thank you. But it's 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 it's. I'm I, as a, as a as a man in STEM. I'm I'm not always going to get it right. I don't always understand what the issues are because I'm I'm not a woman in science. But the best, and I think a lot of men are scared of that. I think a lot of men are scared of going. Uh, I can't say anything because I might get something wrong. I'm yeah. going to get. That's it. You don't know what it's like to be a man in science. I don't know what it's like to be a woman in science. As a white man, I don't know what it's like for uh, someone from the BAME community to be inside. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay not to know, but I think the difference exactly. is we ask, we've got to, we can't be afraid of getting things wrong if you're doing it for the right reason, you're trying to help. And I mean, as a white 
educated man with tenure in science. <laughs> if I don't help anybody, it's not specifically women. I'm not favouring women over boys or girls over boys or the particular sort of uh, any particular community. I just want everyone to have those opportunities. Mm. It's not a big misconception. I think a lot of people intentionally get is, well, if women are being helped in science, that means boys can't get help in science. Like, no, yeah. no, no. It's not that at all. It's giving everyone that same opportunity. That Equality. Same yeah, I mean, it's that same, I don't, that sounds awful, I don't really care who you are, what your background is, what you think. If you want to get into science, I will try and do whatever I can and, and, mm. and make it, to make it as, as accessible for you as possible. Because why wouldn't I? Again, it goes back to the idea of that piece of artwork. It's not for <laughs> me not to have science because of your sex or your gender or your sexual orientation or your ethnicity it's, and that's for, or your age or any of these things or your your wealth or whatever none of these things should stop you getting into science um so yeah i mean it's i, I care i really care about this because mm. i would have an opportunity for someone who wants to get into science who couldn't because of something that's not in their power if you don't work hard enough fine you don't deserve to get into science exactly but if I can't imagine a little girl sitting there thinking, I can't because I won't be taken seriously or someone from a different ethnicity who just feels that it's not, I mean, I'm not naive. I know this happens. Of course it does. It happens all around me all the time. Yeah. Be going to change when you are all on the same platform and all of us are on the same platform and those who, those of us who can help should help. And yeah, it, it annoys me when people don't help and I understand why some, some don't, but it's not enough. We all need to do more and, and make that difference. And it's, it's little stuff. It's, it's not massive stuff, as you say. It's, it's helping where you can. It's lending your voice. It's, it's not helping those who are putting up hurdles or laughing at a joke that criticizes you or makes exactly. you feel... It's all these things. It's, you don't have to do amazing stuff to make a difference. You just have to be less of a dickhead sometimes. I think that's a big... <laughs> Is it... like, you're the sort of person who doesn't want someone to achieve because of something, then what's wrong with you? And I just don't get it. I really don't. Um, but I, I, I mean, I, I've got lots of friends back in Norfolk who are teachers or, or work within the school education system at uh, that level in various ways. And I've done a few classes for them over the years. And the one that stuck with me most is we, the teacher, I mean, I didn't want them to do this. The teacher asked the kids just for the first 10 minutes to draw, um, to draw a scientist. Mm. And in a, in a class of, I don't know, of, of 25 kids, of boys, girls, and mixed ethnicities, they all drew a white guy in a lab coat. Exactly. I, I knew you were going to say this. <laughs> so cliche, but it was, they all did. And it's just like, oh my God, you don't see yourself in these situations. And by the time we finished, again, a little girl came up to my friend and I at the end, the teacher and I, and she was visibly, up, she was about eight, eight years old, and she was visibly upset because she didn't know she was allowed to become a scientist. Oh my God. Not that she wanted to be, not that she'd always dreamed of, but she didn't know she was allowed to be a scientist. And that uh, really, that really stuck with me. That, that really, breaks my heart, honestly. Yeah, yeah, but just how many of these kids, and that's not, that's not giving a kid STEM education that's special. That's just making them or helping them or allowing them to realise that there is an opportunity there. And that's like, my God, we've, we've got to do so little that could still make such a big impact. And there's not a huge amount. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I also, I write, as you said earlier, I write books for kids and, and mm -hmm. I often do shows. And when I do my shows on dinosaurs, I alternate, <coughs> I alternate the sex of my dinosaurs. And I'll say, 
got a video we've got here we've got spinosaurus and he did this you can see here he's trying to hunt this fish and da 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 da, da. and i always make t-rex female when i do my <laughs> talks i say right and here we come to the most famous of all the dinosaurs she lived in i always make them guess it says she lived about 66 million years ago she was found in america she was this and this and this and this <laughs> and no one ever guesses because i say she they just don't guess what it is and, yeah. I, and i say it was t-rex and i've had little boys come up to me afterwards in tears because i've ruined the uh oh, the no. <laughs> but it's their fault it's not their fault that they they're not being sexist at all but no what I, bless I, them a, a bloke a guy came up to me a father in the, the queue for me signing books and said you really upset my child i said oh my god i'm so sorry Where, where's your child and this kid was about 10 or 11 years old he was, he was <laughs> emotionally upset by this he said he doesn't like the idea that you call t-rexes girls i said, like, oh well, well oh, Lord. <laughs> because t-rexes survived for several million years there were definitely girl t-rexes i hate to put it out there kiddo yes <laughs> and the dad said can you just tell him they were boys like there, there were boys as well but about 50 percent, i reckon were probably girls so uh <laughs> he got really angry and said why i didn't get why it was such a challenge oh help his son understand that there were and I'm not going to say I'm the best person because I, I get things wrong. I completely do. But the, my point is, I guess, that even with just little changes, e all of us can, can help be, be an ally. And we throw that around, that, that term, so easily, like an ally. And like, Well, it, it's, it's not difficult. You can all make a difference. And, and yeah, it's, I, I don't know. It, I think because I'm in such a privileged position that I'm able to take that and, and not really care. But I, and in mm. terms of that, I'm you come up with a lot of opposition people say oh you're just saying that because you want to improve your chances with women oh you're doing that because you you're a snowflake or you're just jumping on the bandwagon i said no, no i'm mm. i'm doing it why wouldn't I? I i don't get why you wouldn't and because i'm in a position where i'm completely privileged and able to then yeah why especially why wouldn't i but yeah i'm very vocal and uh, uh, and and yeah try to make that make that make that small difference wherever i can i guess i'm gonna stop <laughs> <laughs> But I think, um, I don't think the matter is that if you get things wrong, Ben, because I think, like, I've been in situations, uh, I've been really lucky since I came to the UK uh, with my jobs and with my environment. And I'm so lucky to be in this environment because I also think I'm privileged and, and I am respected by, by my boss and by my colleagues. Um, and it doesn't matter that I'm a woman, I'm respected as a scientist, my ideas are listened to and et cetera, et cetera. But before my, my jobs here in the UK, I've been in situations that I had two men in front of me. I was saying an idea. This idea was not respected for whatever reason. And one of the men says a joke, an unfortunate joke, and then the other man supports it. And that's the problem, you know, that you automatically, I automatically felt discouraged. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not being cons well considered here. I'm not being recognized. And I don't even think it's about the scientific content of my idea. <laughs> I think it's about something else. And the problem is that uh, when the first man says the joke or the comment, that's bad. But when the second one doesn't, even if, even if that second man thinks he's wrong, and if they don't pronounce themselves and they support the joke, then automatically you are not supporting me, even if inside you are thinking about, wow, that was an unfortunate joke, you know? So mm. I don't think the problem is that you get will get things wrong because this is normal. Um, but you try to understand 
you know, and obviously you said you are not a woman in science, but you are trying to understand what is going on. Like why that girl didn't deserve to go in science. That's, that's not, that, that's, that's not right. You know, and, and that's why I admire so much as well what you do, because you try to understand and you are vocal about it and you try to, you know, to understand everything that is going around the movement. And I think that's amazing. Um, I have a, I have to, I have a niece and a nephew uh, the boy is 11 and the girl is uh, eight now. <clears throat> and when they were very little and they asked me what I, what I do, oh, auntie, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I'm a scientist. And my niece, my nephew, not so much, but my niece loves to draw. And at the beginning, when she was really little, she really liked to draw my lab because she thinks the lab is mine. Maybe my boss doesn't agree with that, but... <laughs> she thinks that the lab is mine so she was trying to you know uh, draw all the lab all the pipettes all the stuff and she was drawing all of that as men and i was really surprised by that and i was like oh why are you doing this and she was like well because you know scientists are men sometimes and i'm like well i'm not a man and i do science and we are smashing it my sister says that i'm trying to introduce ideas <laughs> in the head of my niece but i don't care what my sister says and by now you know she's she's gonna be eight or nine by this year and now she she draws me as as myself you know as a scientist and she also draws my colleagues as females and she even says it at school you know and i think that's that's one of the most important things to to give this this sense of inclusivity to to little girls despite of what they do and that's why i want to showcase as well here you know and, and also male colleagues like you that they they also want us to to feel included and to feel like we deserve to be here um so i think that's that's the point you know it doesn't matter that you you get it wrong and i agree with you that a lot of men will be like oh i don't want to say anything because i'm going to say something wrong and that stays there you know like plateau I think we need more male colleagues and, and friends like you that instead of leaving it plateau, they're like, all right, let me try to understand. Let me try to ask this question to my student or let me just talk to this uh, woman that is doing this in my university or something. Absolutely. It's it's it goes. Yeah, it's 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 the confidence of being wrong, which I think does affect some of the scientists anyway, but I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's men just, I, sometimes we don't want to be wrong and it's ridiculous, but I, I don't mind being wrong. I mean, I really, we all think if it doesn't make you a worse person, doesn't make you a worse scientist. If we get things wrong in supporting anyone to get into science or anyone within it, it's not scientists, but anyone within a career, you can't be perfect all the time and no one's going to blame you for being wrong. I think that's, I don't know. I don't understand how we can get over that hurdle because completely I accept some people don't want to help some people are just misogynistic whatever but I think how do we tap into those people who want to help but don't know how and I, I'm again I'm not giving excuses for, for people who don't support um uh, greater inclusivity but we need to find ways of doing that I and mean, I was just looking well I was just thinking uh, before we spoke earlier and what you just said then how do we get girls especially into science at that school mm. level but there are so many selective pressures and stages along the way I was looking earlier and it's at GCSE in the UK Boys and girls, I think it's 60, I've got it here, uh, yeah, here it is, 62% uh, <laughs> of girls get from an A star to a C, uh, whereas 44% of boys get, in engineering, an A star to a C. University, mm. um, so, so GCSE, girls are already doing better than boys. Yeah. Then university, in terms of graduates, engineering graduates, 15% of engineering graduates are women. 
Yeah. So you've massively dropped. And then within the field, within the engineering field, it's 9% are represented by women. So yeah. even at that school level, they're doing really well. How do we suddenly lose them at university or getting from school to university? And then how do we lose them after university? So I think there's, exactly. there's pressures and so many problems along the way there's no i mean some of them i know some amazing female engineers they are absolutely i mean uh professor danielle george jumped in my head from manchester then <laughs> and we get together she's incredible um why when we have the role models out there we have some amazing people out there we just need to and it's again it's not up to something i'm really keen about is not up to female role models to do all the work that's not the answer either it's it's we all need to be doing this we don't need to be going you're an engineer that's oh, okay yeah i mean that sort of that, that that initial response we need to find a way of getting over that it doesn't matter who exactly. you are where you're from what your background is what your body parts look like or whatever it just if you do the job you want to do the job that's that's all it is really and it's it's that low grade stuff it's not all the it's not specifically the bullying the targeting harassment because that's that's something you can definitely deal with and can be done yes. dealt with it's not being dealt with but it can be dealt with in a much yeah. more strategic but how do you stop that low grade eyebrow raised how do you go that oh right how do you, is that the thing you, what that same thing that makes those boys go dinosaurs can't be girls why yeah. would i still find an engineering graduate to be a woman slightly ooh, when i don't but why why do we have that so how do you tackle that on a much more society based much more of a and i think the only way it's going to happen is is we just push and push and push and I say by we it's all of us we we, we encourage we support we we help um where we can that's that's it's going to take time it really is but there's i hate the fact that at school girls do better than boys at engineering <laughs> and then that completely drops why would you go through engineering if you don't if, if, yeah and then and some of those won't want to of course they won't and some things drop out but it's i'm looking through i've got science computing engineering construction uh, uh, additional maths, biology, design technology. In all of those subjects, girls do better than boys at GCSE. Yes. At high they all drop at university level after that as well. There's not just, they're not all of those are dropping out because they've got alternative careers. There's, there's a pattern there. And I don't see why that pattern's there. Well, I do see why, but I don't see why it's still there. I don't see why it's not being changed. And, and like, the, the the focus isn't on women changing that. The focus is on all of us changing that. On universities, on schools, on on TV, and the. I mean, I also, I googled, <laughs> I googled scientist earlier, and obviously all the, all the all all the the images are men, nearly. Um, of in, course. In, I then googled um, male scientist, uh, female scientist. I googled sexy scientist. <laughs> oh my god! I don't want to know what comes out of that. <laughs> But again, it's, it's, it's just women in, in bikinis with lab coats on. I don't know why you can't have a sexy scientist in the field, apparently, but you can only have a wow. sexy scientist. <laughs> That's definitely not how you should be in a chemistry <laughs> lab, especially. <laughs> I love the fact you think it's a health and safety issue. That's your main concern there, no? That's my main concern. No, safety <laughs> first. Safety first. <laughs> uh, and these, these labs are cold as well. It's not convenient either exactly. way. Exactly. <laughs> but I, again... Again, it's this weird legitimizing, it's like we have to conform, and it's a society-wide thing that made me think this just isn't right. We need to find ways of, of overcoming this, and, but it's a bigger issue, and it's, 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 I remember when I first got to Uganda, my, my boss at the time, not Jane, my, a different level boss, 
um, took me aside and said, I, I don't think you're going to suit this job because women are much better at this job working with chimpanzees in the wild because mm. as a, you'll be more threatening to the chimps and they'll see you as aggressive, they'll see you as dominant, um, you'll never have that close proximity. And mm. I remember feeling really angry that someone had told me that I couldn't do a job because I was a man. Of course. Now, I don't expect anyone listening to go, oh, got a tiny violin for the guy who got a bit... <laughs> That's not what I'm... But I remember just afterwards thinking, oh, my God, you have literally had the smallest taste of what it must be like to be a woman on a day-after-day-after-day basis. And, yeah, I was annoyed. I, Again, I'm privileged. I'm a bloke, and I, I was able to do the best job I could, and, and, I, and I made a difference. But I just thought it's, that, that instant feeling of, that's so unfair. Yeah. I can't... Im- feeling that every day and I can't imagine going to a job knowing that people don't respect me as much or in the same way um, or I've got to prove myself more because of, of my chromosomes it's just insane um, it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that every bloke should have it turned around and have sexism because it's not right either <laughs> not either is except acceptable there but I remember that tiny taste didn't that didn't change the way I think and I'm not suddenly different because of that but I, I'd mm-hmm. like to think I Quite supportive but I remember that feeling that I had going that's that's not great I didn't I didn't like yeah well this is why I also want to cha- challenge that eyebrow thing that you were saying before you know because we I think and this is something I spoke about with other women that I have interviewed in this podcast I think because we are so as women we are so used to these challenges and it belongs to our day-to-day that we don't become aware that this is still a problem and that we still need a lot of time to fight it so it becomes so part of us that sometimes we forget about it and even i'm guilty of that myself you know and sometimes when i hear comments uh, to me or to another a female colleague sometimes I didn't say anything but now I'm also trying to be more aware of the thing like hey that's not right could you please reformulate that sentence or could you please not attack her in this way you know because we also need to support woman 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 male we need to support all of that you know um and I this is one of the things that I want to challenge that eyebrow um thing you know and that misconception uh i don't know if you listened to the first episode of the podcast it was my my own interview my own journey and everyone that has listened to this episode hates the cab driver who told me oh you don't look like a scientist because you are too pretty i think this cab driver is hated in norfolk (laughs) (laughs) because i like honestly that's that's what he did he raised his eyebrow you know like oh you don't look like a scientist you are super pretty and i'm like uh all right you need to drive me home and i cannot leave your car but if i could (laughs) i will actually do that right now because it's so offensive you know and it to be honest i'm not surprised that little girls might feel affected by this because it's like well why does it matter that i'm pretty i i want to be a scientist i want to be i want to do a good job you know so this is one of the things that i also want to tackle and why i think it's important to showcase stories like you you know you are aware of this problem you you share these experiences with us and and you try to challenge that as well to people i think i mean I am not defending that cab driver at all, but I would, <laughs> but no interest. I would love to know. If we're going to change people. We need to know what their 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 viewpoint is as well. I mean, I would, I would imagine. Of course, there are some creepy guys out there, and, and there are some bad guys out there. But yes. I think the vast majority are just guys who or people who aren't aware. Um, exactly. And I believe to, to be able to challenge some of these and go 
that made me feel A, B, and C. And I bet some of those people go, oh, I'm really sorry. And I, there hmm. will be some who didn't intend to be offensive and didn't intend. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe he meant as a compliment. And, and I think the part <laughs> me as a man showing helping show other men what the problems are i think very often the people go i was just trying to be nice like maybe you were but that's not how people feel and i think they're not being outright intentionally misogynistic to try and make you feel less of a person sometimes but i think that that i think that wariness and that response of well i didn't mean that i I don't i mean (laughs) she is pretty she and i but isn't it interesting that he in, in his in his perception there He's obviously got an understanding of what a scientist is, which is wrong, because a scientist yes. is some man or woman who's unattractive. And we do. We see in cartoons and we see in films, the scientist is always some, some nerdy guy who walks oh, around. Oh, yes. Like, <laughs> so, I mean, it's a big, it is a, in part, it's a bigger picture to go, why do you think scientists at all are yeah. attractive? And then once you've got that in your head, why, why does it matter if a scientist is attractive or not? Why can't an attractive person do a certain job? And, and why did you feel the need to tell me that? And why did you feel it's okay to say that to me? Exactly. I think there's, a, there's a whole list of things there that would be amazing to have that man lying down on the couch and really assess why. <laughs> if you're listening, Mr. Cab Driver, we would love to sit down and chat with you about that. Um, yes, a lot of people want to chat to that guy. <laughs> But it's, it, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's something we're going to have to address at every level. And it's not going to change overnight. We've seen, we've seen recently with, with, with terrible stuff that's happened with, in terms of uh, views from, in terms of the way we treat women, the way we see women, the way we respond to women when they're, yeah. when they're vulnerable. This is such a bigger picture than, than women in science, which is obviously close to my heart, close to your heart. Mm-hmm. But it's something address at every level from from royalty to government to the police to everything an in- really yeah everything how do we how do we tackle that how do we address that and how do we how do we change how do we change it in a societal way and i'm a firm believer that you can't you can't uh, work with primates as long as i have you can either mm-hmm. be very and dominate and and make people do something or animals or, or whatever do something through fear or you can encourage them to change their behavior and that fear-based behavior change isn't as effective. It's not as long-lasting. It doesn't work in the same way. So we can talk about law and we can talk about all these different things which are true. But, but more interestingly, how do you, I don't know the answer, how do you shape people to, to just behave better? How do you encourage them to do it off their own back so that when no one else is looking, mm-hmm. they, still, they still don't objectify a woman or if it's two blokes in their own, they still don't talk about a woman negatively or... or Ah, oh, that same guy in a cab still not that. How do you make them want to act better? And I think that's a, a really big question. And I don't know how we do that at every level. I and mean, it's going to take time. But yeah, it's, it's, it, it has to be done. It still has to be done. And that's not to say that we can't all do something. It's like climate change. This, oh my God, no, this upsets me so much. People say, oh, I can't do anything climate change. It's all China and India and America. What can oh I God. do? Okay, nothing. Just sit there and yeah. just die. That's it. They're fine then. Or the <laughs> difference: you recycle, you do this, you can educate people, you can go on a walk rather than use your car. Blah blah blah. It's the same with this. You're exactly. not a person. You're probably not listening to this. Able to change the law, hmm. and that if you can. Then please change the law. But if you can't, then it's still the way you talk to people. It's still the way you think. It's still the same way that you respond to a situation. So every single person listening, whether you're you're whatever you whoever you are and whatever your background is and whatever your, your your views you can still make a difference and i think that's 
hopefully empowering to everybody who's listening. It's not, no one's asking you to change the world. We're just asking you to change what you can, where you can, in a way that you can. Exactly. And I think I am a firm believer as well of if you don't change the things from your own micro <laughs> environment, you cannot expect that someone that you see on Twitter changes as well. I say Twitter for saying something, you know, but it can be any kind of a scenario. I'm, I'm obsessed with Twitter, so I tend to think about it. But like, if, if I don't change my own views and I support my main environment, you know, my, my nearest colleagues, then how can I pretend that someone else is going to support my cause, you know, or someone else is going to support this podcast or the woman that I interview, you know, I think it has to be like with climate change. If I don't recycle or do things for my own environment, then how I can pretend that someone else is doing it because I'm not respecting it on the first place. So it's, you know, baby steps. And then obviously, like you said earlier as well, this is not going to be overnight. We still have a long way to go. Sometimes when I see these headlines, I am like, what year are we? This is not 2021. Like, it seems that we are going backwards. And then, like in any fight and even on science and in your day-to-day -day in the lab, you sometimes do an experiment. You take a million steps back <laughs> and then you go forward again. You stop, you read, you analyze, and then you keep going. And that's, you know, life as well. So I think this is, I also don't have the answer of how we are going to change that, but this is you know, like just by having this conversation with you, I hope that also we are inspiring people that are listening to us and that they are thinking, oh, maybe that joke, you know, that my colleague said last week, it was not as good as I thought. Next time that I see this, I'm going to change it, you know, and that's like a small thing that honestly, I would be honored if, if, if I can inspire people and change that as well, step by step, like we said. Absolutely. And then, like you say, is that reassurance that, However small, as you say, those baby steps are, they mm. make a difference. Enough exactly. of us do little things where we can, that's fine. And it does make a difference and, and it will build up and eventually you'll, you'll get to be where you want to be. And I'm saying you, but as a society, whoever it is, whatever that cause, it's, that's all we can do. And it's the same with this climate change, same with this. It's, it's this idea that someone else is going to solve this problem for you. As, as in us as a society looking at this, isn't it's, it's us. We have to make that difference. We have to make those steps. Then we will, it sounds cliche, we will change the world. None of us want to be in a world where women don't feel safe in the streets or where little girls feeling they're not as valid as a little boy or someone who's desperate to get into a certain career such as engineering or biology or, or any of the STEM subjects and for whatever reason, feeling they can't. No one wants that society. And that's only going to change when we all, all of us, whether you're a politician or someone, uh, a boss in, in any position, or just a, a general member of the public, we can all make those differences. But it starts with us, each and every one of us. Exactly. No, I totally agree with you. I think this is, you know, that's, that will be the key to, to keep changing and to keep supporting each other so then we can move forward uh, to make the big changes. Um, so I am incredibly inspired by you. I could be talking to you for two days. It's maybe not convenient, but <laughs> I could be chatting to you for ages. Uh, I just have one last question for you. Um, what if you have this, this, you know, a classroom full of little girls uh, thinking about going to science, but they, they feel that they don't belong? What would you say to them to, like you said earlier, to shape them 
and to inspire them to, to feel that not only they can go to science, but they will do well in, in science. I, first of all, say this applies to any little boy or girl or any older boy or girl or man or woman. It doesn't matter who you are, but I think this still applies. I wanted to do a little experiment with me. I wanted to sit there or, or lie down on the floor or on your bed and picture a scientist doing an amazing job. Is that scientist up in space studying planets, <laughs> things in a rocket or... <laughs> under the water in the sea studying sharks are they using pipettes to extract dna from an amazing new discovery what are they doing just imagine the best job in science you can imagine <laughs> what they're wearing where they are and what it feels like and the last thing is imagine that face is yours imagine that's your face on that scientist doing that dream job you can do that I'm a firm believer that you can be a heart surgeon or an astronaut or a shark biologist or <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, or even how old you are. You can do it. I mean, science is there for all of you. Science isn't an easy journey, but if you really, really love science and you really want to get into it, then there is a way. And I think that's really important to remember. So imagine the ultimate science job and see yourself doing that exactly oh that's so cute ben <laughs> that's so inspirational that's so good that's so nice to hear um i don't know about you I've, I've learned so much from you it's been an amazing chat like i said i will i will do like 10 episodes a series we can do a series <laughs> of uh, conversations with you uh, i've learned so much and i'm so 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 thankful you are here, you know, in this episode, but also contributing to the main idea uh, behind the podcast. I'm so happy you are one of the male ambassadors of this project. And I'm, I'm so thankful you came and it has been amazing to chat with you. It's been lovely to chat with you too. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's an amazing project you're doing. It's a complete passion project and it's, it's, it deserves all the support in the world. So I'm, I'm always happy. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Thank you so much. Uh, and then... I'm going to take your word for it. And next lecture, I'm going to be there. <laughs> oh, I completely. I would just say anyone who's listening right now, there are so many opportunities and so many groups out there to help. And whether you're already at university, there's things like Soapbox Science, which is something you can mm. get involved. Um, also, if you're younger, if you're a teacher or you're a parent or you're a, you're a young person listening to this, there's something called the Youth STEM Awards. Um, oh, yeah, which that's cool. Yes. They're great. They're, I mean, they're based in East Anglia and run by a couple of very good friends of mine, um, including Dr. Sam Fox, who you should be definitely <laughs> are involved. Um, but it's a way for young people to really get experience within the STEM sort of subjects and, and to get involved as well. So there's lots of opportunities to help you understand science, get a bit of a taste for what science might be like or STEM might be like, um, and give you that uh, opportunity as well. So get out there and see what uh, what, what might be out there for you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ben, again, uh, for your, you know, um, amazing experiences and, and journey. Um, and yeah, thank you so much again for being here. Thanks, Mary. It was lovely. Cheers. Savage, yeah. I don't understand it, and you talking feeling